Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing the third episode of the second season of The White Lotus on HBO called Bull Elephant. I'm your host, Victor. I'll be providing you a brief recap of the events of this episode and then jumping into a conversation with Sona, my co-host, where we dig into some of these very interesting moments a little deeper and then ending the episode by discussing Don't Worry, Darling, a recent movie that is now finally available on HBO Max. And I think a much broader audience will be catching up with the film now. It is very flawed, especially in its finale, but interesting up until that point and worth discussing. There will be spoilers in that conversation, and there's a warning when the spoilers begin, but you may want to watch the film before listening to that conversation. The usual calls to action. If you'd like to support the show, share it with your friends and family, post it on your social media, drop us an email. If you have any feedback, need some introduction at gmail.com. Subscribe to us. We continue to cover The Peripheral, a very successful Amazon Prime science fiction show in this same feed. If you have been watching that show, we will continue to cover that show as well for the next three episodes. There are four more episodes of this show, The White Lotus, before the season wraps up. And before then, we will also be discussing the finale of the show Andor, the excellent Star Wars show. And I say that as someone who has not liked most of the Star Wars output for the past few years, at least. And after those shows wrap up, our next planned week-to-week show recaps will be in January. Your Honor, the Brian Cranston Showtime show, which had a very successful first season. And The Last of Us, the Pedro Pascal science fiction show, the game adaptation, which is coming to HBO and HBO Max in January as well. Same weekend, actually, the second weekend of the month. And in that month in between, there will be movies coming to Netflix. There will be movies coming to theaters. There will be end-of-year lists to discuss. And I'm sure there will be some surprise miniseries on Netflix or Amazon Prime, which will catch fire and we'll be covering those if anything like that pops up. One thing I'll be probably covering as well will be Slow Horses, the Apple TV Plus spy thriller set in Britain, a very entertaining season one, and now in less than a year, we get our season two. And there will be at least five seasons of this based on the very successful spy novel, so do catch up on that if you haven't already. We'll be covering that throughout December as well. Make sure you subscribe so you know when all that material becomes available to you. So with all of that out of the way, let's get into this third episode of The White Lotus, Bull Elephant. We begin with Valentina arriving at work. She stops for her usual espresso on the way in. Some guy just standing there at the coffee bar relatively mildly hits on her. She has no time for it or patience for it. She's just annoyed that yet again, no matter where she goes, she's being hit on. We do see a little bit more of Valentina throughout this episode, and I do think that we are starting to develop her character. There must be some reason that there is this distance that she has. Maybe there was a bad relationship or something that broke up recently. Remains to be seen, but I do think they're going to humanize her even further throughout the rest of this season. Ethan runs past her just as she's arriving at the hotel. Harper tries to seduce him, trying to be a morning person. She's trying to turn over a new leaf, at least for the remainder of the trip. And he just has absolutely no interest, doesn't even acknowledge the effort. He's confused by this. Why are you trying to be nicer all of a sudden? And she takes that as a bit of a challenge. She says she's going to be the life of the party today. She's going to turn on the charm. Just watch. Greg is packing up for his trip, and Mia and Lucia are heading out of Dom's room, splitting the take from the night before, and Bert actually notices them in the hallway. 
and heard them the night before in the room, by the way. It's going to be very hard for Dom to try to keep this a secret from his dad. We see the usual breakfast combinations. Ethan laughs at Harper's performance, and Cam and Daphne are a little confused by it, but Daphne specifically seems to take it all in stride, and as a matter of fact, kind of prefers this version of Harper. Albie and Portia have a difficult conversation. Portia was saying, you should have just come inside. You need to be more aggressive. Albie does take this to heart, and Bert and Dom show up. Bert brings up the fact that there were two girls. Who were those two girls? Maybe maids, Dom says. Hmm, don't think so. Portia sounds depressed here. She's saying, is everything boring? I like the fact that Albie says, it sounds like everything he, she has wrong with in all her complaints are her phone. He says, you should just throw it away. And immediately she sticks her nose right back into it, of course. As we all do. Daphne, meanwhile, wants to go to Noto. She's heard great things about it. Cam is not interested. He rented some jet skis. He wants to hang out with Ethan. And I love Harper's face here. She is enjoying this little fight she's witnessing between Cam and Daphne. Supposedly they don't fight. Hmm, interesting. Harper's yes day bites her in the ass here a little bit. Daphne invites Harper to Noto with her. Everybody seems to think this is a great idea. Ethan thinks this is pretty funny. And I, there's this animosity here between the two of them. And I'm very curious to know what is this wrong that Ethan thinks Harper has committed against him because this is definitely beginning to feel antagonistic between the two of them. Bert has booked a tour of the Godfather locations. And I disagree. Some of this is just, I think, generational baiting between the men in the family, the De Rossi family. I don't agree with Albie's interpretation of the Godfather being purely a glamorization of the violence and toxic masculinity defined within that film or those two films. At the same time, I do agree to some extent that that is how many fans of that film do read that film. I like Bert's commentary here that people used to respect their elders, but now their elders are just a reminder of the offenses of the past, which I do feel is a legitimate intergenerational tension that exists, and maybe throughout history. Tanya has a terrible fit during breakfast as Greg is preparing to finally leave. Greg does show appreciation for the fact that she had basically saved his life. I guess he's in some kind of remission from his disease from before. She makes an interesting point that now that he's healthy, now he has to consider just all the years they're going to have to spend together. And maybe, indeed, that is part of his reluctance here. Tanya needs a house call from a fortune teller, and she needs Portia to come with her as well. She needs her emotional support animal with her at all times, especially now. She's taking to bed, as they used to say. We see the girls, Daphne and Harper, heading out in Noto. Daphne has rented out a palazzo and wants to spend the night there and wants to use it as a way to activate her husband's FOMO and abandonment issues. So it's this manipulation they do back and forth to each other, apparently. Harper feels a little more guilty about not telling her husband, to which Daphne says, isn't it better to do what you want, even if it's alone? And Harper does reflect on that briefly. Cameron, meanwhile, is having his lunch or maybe continuing brunch with Ethan and says, congratulations, you did it. But hey, how come you didn't cut me in on this? You should have done some insider trading with me, giving me a heads up. That's how we all make our money, by the way. This is an indictment to investment bankers in general and this kind of personality, this entitlement that Cam is representing here. And a couple of things. Ethan does seem to feel maybe a little guilt if this is the way how people behave. You know, Maybe he's this impressionable. Maybe he should have cut him in on this. But he's also, I think, worried about Cam's intention because Harper has called out the fact that Cam wants something from him. And that's the only reason they're there in the first place. Cam, of course, openly says that he wants a piece of this. He wants to manage his money. I would say at this moment, 
absolutely do not give him your money to manage, by the way. <laughs> and interestingly, Ethan, his expression kind of indicates that not only is he maybe not that happy with what Cam is suggesting here, maybe a little ha- unhappy that Harper was so right about this. Meanwhile, the tarot reader arrives. Tanya is very excited that she's an old world gypsy. Tanya wants to know if the marriage is going to last. The tarot reader has only negative things to say about A, your husband is with some beautiful woman. I still wonder if leaving this ambiguous, it could be a daughter or something like I mentioned earlier. I do wonder if this is truly him cheating on her, even if we take the reading at its face value. But also there are some dark, ominous signs in those cards as well. And she's trying to warn Tanya with her limited English. Tanya wants to hear nothing of it. Readings are supposed to be for building you up. They're not supposed to tell you anything negative. That basically means that not only does Tanya not want to hear bad news, the assumption is that the reading is BS. <laughs> They're just there to placate her, which once again speaks very much to her mindset. During this whole process, Portia is in the bathroom and steals some of Tanya's meds. I wonder how that's going to pay off later. Dom has a heart-to-heart with his son, saying that he does want to patch things up with the mom. He's a feminist, he considers in his own ma- mind. He did not marry some woman who's a pushover. He married Abby, who's a difficult woman, or at least a strong-willed woman, and that must speak something to him. Doesn't completely placate Albie, but he does say he wants to make it work. And I do believe that, at this moment at least, he truly does. At lunchtime, Daphne and Harper have a few experiences here. Some men leer aggressively at Harper. Some other men buy them some drinks. And Daphne talks about going on safari and seeing how the pods of elephants kick out their male members when they get to a certain size. And she just mentions that she wouldn't want to be a man, that being a man is very lonely. They're so competitive, they don't even have real friends, and they're out there thinking they're doing important things when really they're just all alone. Harper contemplates this. Is she maybe seeing some depth to Daphne that she didn't see before? Meanwhile, their bull elephants are out jet skiing, literally playing chicken at one point. Dom runs into Lucia before dinner and cancels for the night. Lucia is a little freaked out by this. She now needs to find a client for the night. Cam and Ethan have an interesting conversation. Cam is definitely trying to manipulate Ethan. To what ends, I'm not sure yet. And he's saying some truth and some manipulation here. He's saying that husbands and wives always lie to each other. And you see Ethan once again going, they do? So in my conversation with Sona, she'll talk about how potentially easily manipulated Ethan might be. And now, just reflecting on it at this moment, I think that maybe she's right, especially when you see this. So Cam certainly seems to lie to his wife, that's for sure. Also at dinner, Portia smiles and waves at Albie. Portia overshares a little bit here, considering she doesn't really trust Tanya's opinion anyway, and says, he's really nice. I just wish that he quickened my pulse a little bit more. Tanya gives her a pretty decent piece of advice. Don't spend your life chasing after emotionally unavailable men. And by the way, some other men, who I believe will be in next week's episode, according to the preview for next week, gets a toast from another table and a smile. Tanya's smile is (laughs) incredible here. Jennifer Coolidge's performance. Hilarious. While Lucia is still trying to find another date for the night, Mia is being a good audience to the piano to the piano player. He comes over during his break and tells her she has a lot of talent. And he starts doing the usual thing that older men often do to women and starts saying, hey, I can make some introductions for you. I could be good for you. You just have to be my friend. She knows, of course, exactly what that means. But rather than throwing a drink in his face again, she says, I'll think about it. And I do think that Mia is starting to come around on some of these ideas, maybe for the worse. Once again, speaking of next week's preview, we see Lucia saying that she's created a monster in Mia. So we'll see what that means. Cam flags down the girls. He kind of knows 
what their deal is. He's looking for some party favors. Lucia has some Molly and suggests, let's fun. Despite the fact that Daphne's intentions were to activate Cam's jealousy in FOMO, despite their flirting in town and despite this beautiful palazzo they're staying in, the ladies are alone and honestly lonely in that giant space while the boys are starting to whoop it up with Lucia and Mia. Daphne asks Harper, has Ethan changed? Harper is worried that Ethan is going to become the stereotypical jerk who late in life gets a success and suddenly is unhappy with all the things that he's had up until that point. Interestingly, Daphne mentions that Cam's co-workers are the dark triad. They're worse than Bernie Madoff, but not Cam. But of course, Harper's wondering, hmm, birds of a feather. Harper also asks Daphne if Cam has ever cheated on her. And she says once, that I know of, so at least once. But she says she refuses to be a victim. I feel a lot of sympathy for Daphne here. She is in this relationship, which has a lot of perks, but perhaps there is at her core some fundamental loneliness, as there probably is to Cam in his own way. Albie this whole entire day has been trying to be more assertive with Portia, but while she's poolside waiting for him to show up with some beers, some new caveman has shown up and she is checking him out and thinking that's the kind of short-term fun she might be very much looking for on this trip. Albie comes back and has indeed become more assertive, but she now seems to have cooled on that prospect. He may have missed his chance after yesterday. She does let him escort her back to the room, but I have a feeling we're going to be seeing this new potential one-night stand <laughs> yet again next week. We end the night with Ethan back in his room. Cam and the girls are pounding at the dividing door. Let us in. He does indeed let them in. Mia makes a move on him, but he says, no, sorry. And she does, to her credit, leave him alone. And then while he smokes and while Harper calls and the phone rings and goes straight to voicemail, he watches as Cam and Lucia have sex. And what is he thinking? Does he want that too? Is he thinking, how am I not going to tell Harper about this? And I think this will come to a boil pretty quickly, probably in the very next episode. And that takes us to the end of the episode. So now, the conversation I had with Sona, discussing this episode in much greater detail. All right, Sona. So you just moments ago, just moments ago, finished watching. Mm -hmm. And for full full transparency, we're recording this a little different. We're recording this immediately afterwards, which we sometimes do like for the finales of some of the shows, but we don't normally do this, but it was just the most convenient time to record. So we're going to go in a little different, I think. Where do you want to start with? I think the meatiest part of this whole dynamic this week is our four yes call this the quartet our double our two yes. our two couples in general i think we've been most interested in up until this point okay maybe we'll start with some of these littler things because sure. for example let's talk about tanya and greg greg packs up and takes off <laughs> what did you think about this whole thing she wants to get an authentic old world gypsy <laughs> as he called as she calls her <laughs> ask valentina to find one in town uh, I love it. Would, it's an emergency. An emergency. Yes, she needs a house call from, from a tarot reader. <laughs> I love the fact that like, basically she doesn't know what she's trying to tell her in English. And it seems like, oh, she's being a little offensive in the way she's describing this person. And then I like that Valentina's like, call the town fortune teller for the crazy lady. Yes. <laughs> the crazy lady. She's a, by definition, by, by default, the most crazy of them all, I guess. Yes. I like that she just believes that, you know, the whole purpose of getting your fortune read is to get built up, to get good news. She's very yes, negative. She was not prepared to actually hear anything that could not be positive, which is an interesting approach when you go see a fortune teller. I guess. 
And uh, apparently, I mean, I don't know Italian very well, so I could not get a reading on what she was saying. So I, I wonder if someone who was very adept at Italian could kind of understand what she was saying, because it was not translated for us in the subtitles. She apparently sees something very negative in these cards. And I think she's trying to warn her something, but of course, by then she has been shuttled out of the room. Portia doesn't get her reading, <laughs> unfortunately for Portia. I mean, it definitely seemed like she saw something alarming in yes. some way, right? From how yeah. she was reacting. Most people would be horrified, but fascinated and need to know exactly what was happening, but not Tanya. No. <laughs> it's like not good news, get out. <laughs> exactly. She literally <laughs> says that. This is not what you're supposed to do. It's like <laughs> reprimanding her. Bad job, bad job. I like the fact that she wouldn't even go into town to get the reading. She has to you know, have some come to her hotel. Yes, she's taken to her bed, basically. Earlier on, we had mentioned, or you had mentioned the fact that, and Portia, by the way, the actress who plays her in the show, in that first featurette in episode one, she seemed to kind of reprimand her own character for being so negative and not taking advantage of this opportunity. And I also mentioned that it kind of is hinted there that she is almost trapped in a room with Tanya for a couple of episodes. So I guess they were kind of jumping ahead to this point in the show. But given all that, do you have a little more sympathy for Portia's <laughs> situation here where she has to sit there all afternoon and read a magazine to keep an eye on her? I am sympathetic to the situation. Something about this character, though, I'm just indifferent to her. Yeah. And just to wrap things up there as well, we see a couple of things. She's traveling with the DeGrasso men. Bert has booked a trip to travel around Sicily to visit the shooting locations of The Godfather. Very millennial of Portia that she's, I think she's seen scenes from it. <laughs> she's never seen the whole thing, The Godfather. To be honest, the same is true for me. <laughs> and that's being married to someone who The Godfather trilogy, or at least the first two, are yeah, amongst yeah. his favorite movies ever. And I still have only seen a few scenes. And somehow, whenever it's on, it's those same exact scenes over <laughs> and over. Don't ask me about my business. The conversation that Albie brings up here, although he's, he's instigating here. So, I mean, I'm not fully taking Albie's point of view. I like the dynamic, basically, between these three generations, which I had mentioned earlier, that it kind of speaks to three different generations of maybe traditional masculinity. And you see the dad who's like saying like, yeah, when you flirt with women, you're complimenting them. And then you hear Dom talking about, you know, he's a feminist because he's like kind of propped up all these women. Of course, some of these women he's probably been sexual with. And that's just kind of part of this game in his perspective. I'm not saying that's correct, but I think it's like that generation of this uh, family and of maybe some type of certain type of man. And then, of course, now you have this son, which is maybe not assertive enough, trying to be an ally or whatever you want to call it in, in this particular context. I mean, that's definitely the signal that Portia's sending to him. But I did find it funny to have these three generations of men talking to each other. I like that Bert says that in the old days, people used to look up to their elders or respect them, and that now they're just like remind them of something shameful of their pasts, you know? So it is, it, it's actually a lot of truth in what's being said here. But the thing I wanted to circle back to was I find it interesting. I disagree with the interpretation of The Godfather that it is a romanticization of that style of masculinity. I actually think it's a critique of kind of like the limits of that type of thinking. And actually it's a critique of capitalism itself, if you read it that way. And I think that's definitely intentional. However, to his point, I think that I know many, many people who do not read The Godfather that way. They absolutely see it as a glamorization of the thing that is potentially critiquing. And I also find it very funny to see Michael Imperioli here because I know people mm -hmm. exactly the same thing with The Sopranos. The Sopranos is a critique 
of Tony Soprano, but I know many, many people who do not read the show that way at all. So it's kind of interesting that the way people interpret these things. I thought this whole discussion was fascinating as someone who has, again, only seen a few scenes of The Godfather, <laughs> but because it is my husband's favorite movie, I think that's not what he enjoys about it. I think, right. um, well, listen, the mafia is fascinating, first of all, on its own, right? But I think there's a lot of family dynamics there that my husband finds interesting and representative of a lot of families, whether they're in the mafia or not, right? right. Yes. <laughs> At least, I, and I haven't had a chance to explicitly ask him about this, but I don't think the focus is on these traditional male-female roles for him. I think it's in the interpersonal family right. dynamic. And I'll ask. Yeah, it was very interesting to hear the different perspectives on that and kind of like the chicken and egg view of, well, is somebody making this because everything is through the male gaze and this is the fantasy of what a man mm -hmm. wants? Or is someone making it because it's a mirror of what we used to have and what right. people wished we could have again? Right. I mean, it's it's a question you'll never know the answer to, really, right? Because it's impossible. Absolutely. I think that's what's kind of fascinating, all the things you just said, even though you haven't seen the Godfather all the way through, but you're touching on all those themes. It also is about these generations of these men, right? You see the Marlon Brando character as a young man played with by Robert De Niro in Godfather 2, but then that Godfather 2 actually wraps around the Godfather 1, so it actually has a before and after that movie. And you see mm -hmm. that now Michael Corleone has become legitimized, and he's trying to get into politics and things like that as well. So it's kind of like the story of America, how you know, you're know you an outsider, then you have to become a criminal, then you achieve success, and then of course now you're an insider because they want your wealth to prop up their own, uh, you know, the old system as it was. So that's where it's kind of a critique of capitalism itself. But to your point, there's also just all this melodrama, these infighting. So it's kind of a heightened version of all the dynamics we see in families in general. And of course, there's an appeal to that as well. And then of course, there's also, like I said, the fantasy of kind of the critique that Albie makes of the uh, film, which I disagree with, but I do think a lot of people who do watch that, they're like, man, that's so awesome. Like when they massacre mm -hmm. those bad guys, you know, like in other words, their reading of it is actually ironic because it's the, the critique that's being made. But once again, it's that whole idea of, can you ever make a movie that's an anti-war movie? Because as soon as you present it on screen, mm -hmm. you're glamorizing it by definition in a way, right? Mm -hmm. so anyway, so it's kind of interesting to think about The Godfather and to think about the parallels, not necessarily within this show, but just this, you know, these three generations of Italian men where that's a, a series of films about multiple generations of Italian men, right? Dealing with some of these same things and, you know, much, yeah, and I much think... lower stakes, much lower stakes. Obviously, so. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think to go back to that original comment about, oh, it used to be that, you know, being an elder meant something. I, yeah. Yeah. I see that very much reflected in my life. There are so many times, right. With the older generation that I have bit my tongue, partly culturally, that's what I was taught to do. But partly also, you know, as I get older, I think like, listen, whether I agree with this perspective or not, like this is a part of my lineage, you know, this person's life story allowed my life story to happen and affected my life story in these certain ways that I would not be in the exact spot I'm in right now were it not for some of the choices these people made. And I do owe something to that, don't I? Right? right like right. I think exactly. that is a very generationally, I think the generation after us doesn't necessarily see things that way. And Maybe it's something that comes with age. Maybe they too, as they get older, will be less judgmental of that and understand more that 
whether we agree or not, it is part of why we have what we have today. And right. you have to respect that somehow, or maybe not. Maybe the world is changing. And maybe right. they say like, it doesn't really matter because it was wrong then and it was wrong now and I don't have to respect it. We were critical in some cases of how characters were written in season one of this show, but I actually really loved this interaction between the characters because once again, I feel like every single one of those three men has a perspective and has a legitimate point of view and is right yes. in their own way, but they're of their time at the same time. Like they're all right, basically simultaneously, which of course is what family's all about. It's like no negotiating that. Yes. Dom breaks up with Lucia, which frees her up. And, you know, we'll talk about that because I think that's going to mm -hmm. tie into this, the core dynamic here in the episode. So yeah, let's talk about Valentina for a minute. We actually open the episode with her. She's irritated by being hit on by men you know, every single day when she goes to get her coffee. <laughs> By the way, I did want to get your temperature reading on this as well. Another thing that I find very funny later on, we see Harper is dressed up in some of Daphne's clothes. And, you know, this is probably to comedic effect, or maybe it's just the perspective Harper's having where she is basically surrounded by these men just yes. staring her up and down. And I think that might be Harper, you know, feeling that to a ridiculous extent or to a too heightened effect, I should say. At the same time, that is a very different thing. I remember going on vacation in Portugal, for example, uh, or in Italy, by the way, uh, with my sister or whatever, and people just hooting and hollering and cupping their buttocks at clubs and stuff like that. And it's just like the level of sexual harassment with European men, I think, at least you know, a decade or two back, maybe it's a little bit better now, is significantly higher than you see in the, in the U.S., I mean, that is the stereotype, right? That is the stereotype. But I will say, did you notice how they kind of bookended that with Michael Imperioli yes. in the bar at the end and all he saw was women? Yes. Yeah, I think that's very important there that you see how he is trying to be good, be on his best behavior there. And uh, oh, and by the way, since we jumped straight there, I do want to get your feel on this too. I found it very funny because he is staring at, you just see him staring at every single woman in that bar, looking at their legs, looking at all different kinds of aspects that I think are attracting to him. But he also, we see Tanya who eventually exits the bar, but there's a moment where in the midst of him eyeballing all these women, we're definitely in his perspective and he checks out Tanya too. And I was just like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he is a sex addict. <laughs> That's what I saw too. And then he literally, literally, that's when he leaves the bar. So maybe he's just like, man, if that's looking good to me, maybe it's time for me to get out of here. Wait, you didn't finish Valentina. Oh, I got digressed yet again. Uh, so she's uh, in those high heels, in the Sicily yeah. cobblestones, which yeah. I respect. That yes. was not easy. But she has like lunch by herself. She stays late at work. She's annoyed by anybody who seems to pay any mind to her. Like even, I mean, this guy is hitting on her, but he's not being, you know, he's not leering or being overly crude or anything. And she just basically shuts him down immediately. And she can't even take a compliment from her coworker <laughs> without getting a little mm -hmm. dig on her, but she's mostly complimentary to her. Although she goes, you talk too much to Rocco. She mm -hmm. still has to get that one in. But uh, other than that, Isabella does pay her compliment. She does seem to take it, which is nice. I think they're fleshing her out. And I think we're going to find out a lot more about her. One more theme here, I think, as well. What did you get of this? This, in general, was a much darker episode. I mean, it takes place at night more than the other ones have. So in that way alone, it is darker. But we also see interspersed multiple times 
the dark ocean at night and we yes. know that that ocean is coming right so that is someone's uh, ending up in there yes it's kind of the <laughs> ominous note so that the, the show even just in episode three now we are pivoting in that direction the, the seeds of someone's downfall are already <laughs> in our sight somewhere let's get into i think what we're going to mostly talk about which is this whole dynamic between the four and how maybe some of the things we had said about some of these folks, <laughs> might, we might be changing our minds about some of them, and but I did want to get your opinion on that. Uh, but let's start with the title of the episode, Bull Elephant. And we see when Daphne and Harper are staying out at this really beautiful palazzo, Daphne tells Harper she pities men because men are so competitive that they can't really be friends to each other. And she thinks about when she was on safari and she saw when elephants get to a certain age, the male elephants get kicked out of the pod and they kind of wander alone. And she sees that as a metaphor for these toxically masculine men. First of all, what did you think of that metaphor? Obviously, it's the title of the episode. But more importantly, you see Harper. How did you read Harper's reaction when she says this? Do you think that she's maybe seeing Daphne is a little deeper than she's seen her or anticipated? Or, or is she just worried? I think Harbor has gotten so much more than she's bargained for out of this day. And, <laughs> yes, yes. And once again, I found myself identifying with her, even though I think she's supposed to be in many ways a stick in the mud. Yeah. You know, she went into it with a positive attitude. She found herself suddenly two hours away from home and <laughs> stuck with this woman that she barely knows. And I think she's just, you know, one part of her is along for the ride and then on the the other part, she is just getting so much more than she bargained for as far as who this woman is that she's with, why she's making the decisions she's making that are affecting her life as well now, because she's stuck in this palazzo, beautiful as it may be, mm -hmm. for the rest of the night and leaving her husband, right, with this morally bankrupt guy. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> I think Harper is a type of person that does make snap judgments about people. Yes. And I think this we is all do. her understanding that about herself and trying to actually be a little bit more open-minded. Yeah. And now she's gotten herself into this situation. <laughs> she made a snap judgment about who her, who um, Daphne is that she's maybe rethinking. What's varying out is her snap judgment about Cameron, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> and, yes. And she probably also, I'm guessing, sees her husband as kind of impressionable. Yeah. And yep. now she's left her husband with this jerk for <laughs> the night, <laughs> with it probably just confirming what she already guessed about him. And now it's all like, what have I done? <laughs> There's so much to unpack here. I just realized that maybe we really do have to step through at least these scenes specifically in sequence, because first of all, we start off with Ethan going for his run again, actually runs right past Valentina as she arrives. Right. Harper gets up early. Oh, she's trying so hard. <laughs> yes. That's what I was going to start with. So here she oh, is. I, I had so totally forgotten this scene, by the way. That's why I kind of wanted to rewind because she's trying so hard to like seduce him in the morning. He completely shuts it down immediately. After saying the problem yeah. is that he likes mm -hmm. to have sex in the morning yeah. and she does not. And here she is yeah. on a silver platter and mm -hmm. he is just headed for the shower. Exactly. And not only that, but just their dynamic, the way it plays out right away, they immediately, I should say, pivot into the conversation about Cam and Daphne because that's their dynamic. Even um, with Harper, Harper has like forgotten the whole seduction thing <laughs> as they, this conversation picks up, right? And so I'm telling you, I would have been mad for the rest of the day. So I <laughs> right. give her credit for rolling with it as she has in many ways rolled with it since his trip started. <laughs> 
I did find that breakfast so funny though, where Harper heads out there to say, I'm going to, this is going to be yesterday for me. I'm just going to be all positivity. Yes. And she, I like how she's even starts in the room with him, like making these kind of, you know, being overly sweet to him and everything. So it's like the performance already begins. And he's very entertained by this, by the way, when she is. Yes. Just like, his little smirk. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So all that is funny. And then I like how he, she's kind of doubling down on this. That's what leads her to uh, head out to this palazzo with, um, Daphne, unbeknownst I mean, to her. she very um, well-acted deer in headlights look. <laughs> yes, yes. When she realizes she's going to have to go on this two-hour trip with this lady. <laughs> well, a whole day with day. her now. A whole day with her. Yes. <laughs> By the way, I thought they were going to get to way more trouble. You saw that in the teaser that, you know, they're yes. accepting these drinks from these other men. Apparently, that's as risque as they got, just accepting the drink. And they took their... Um, edibles you know, edibles and uh yeah. you know uh, Daphne seemed to take it in stride as you know she's probably acclimated to it as opposed to Harper who is kind of freaked out by the frescoes on the wall yes. she does have some kind of questions where she's talking about has Cam ever cheated on you and he's well first of all it's interesting I was at first thinking that maybe this is all part they are both playing games so this is the way I originally read things earlier on you see that Cam is a resentful somewhat of Ethan's success Mm -hmm. Also resentful that Ethan didn't give him some insider training before the sale. Right. Event, which is so sketchy because obviously that's very, very bad and very dangerous if you are the person who's leaking the information. I also think it's very interesting that Cam says like, this is how him and his friends make their money. So it's kind of a, an indictment to that line of work. Uh, and also the fact that later on, she kind of offers it up. Actually, Daphne starts off with saying how they are like, what does she call him? The dark triad or something that he he's, you know, yes. basically they, they are all incredibly sketchy, but not Kim. And she also brings up the fact that these people that he hangs out with are so toxic. They all cheat on their wives, but not Kim. And then of course, eventually she does admit that it happened once that she knows of. Right. So of course mm -hmm. he probably understands her husband a little bit more than they give her credit for, but she plays her own games too. Right. It's like the whole, her hanging out with the Palazzo and doing all this is just to activate Kim's FOMO. And also his, uh, what does she call it, say? He has abandonment issues. <laughs> and it worked, but yeah. an interesting strategy, given that you know what his response is likely to be. Exactly. And it is what right. we saw. Yep. Right? So like really just perpetuating the problem further. You're doing that in order to make things feel even, right? That like, well, he does these things that are not kind to you. So you're going to do these things that are not kind to him. But in response, he's just going to double down and then you're going to double down. And really, where does it end? Possibly with people dead in the ocean. We'll see. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then of course that leads, you know, while the girls are having their relatively tame, you know, it's mostly just trying to create a jealous thought in Kim's mind. Mm -hmm rather than actually doing anything. Meanwhile, you have the guys actually doing, you know, sketchy things or Cam initiating it anyway. And we mentioned earlier that Dom kind of broke up with Lucia for the week. So she needs another benefactor. Cam waves her down, flags her down. She has some Molly, which of course they use. Not of course, but they do. So how do you read the ending here? So to Ethan's credit, he doesn't want to let them into his room. They're banging on that dividing door. See, Harper was right to never open that door. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Ethan lets them in. It's and... the virtuous, sordid lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a slippery slope. <laughs> Even though he gets uh, seduced by Mia, and we maybe need to spend a couple of minutes on Mia as well, he rejects her. This is not her bread and butter. She's just there for a good time. So when he says no, she's like, okay, and that's good enough for her. 
to her credit, she doesn't push the issue too much. And how do you read that final moment where, you know, obviously Cam has gone right to work. <laughs> he has no qualms at all about this. And he's just kind of looking at them and then looking away while he's, I don't know if he's having a cigarette or smoking marijuana. I don't know what he's smoking. He's smoking something while he's just kind of sitting there in the doorframe. Is this him wanting to do that and not having the liberty to it? Is this him feeling guilty? Like, how am I going to not tell Harper? To be honest with you, the reason I have that interpretation of it is just from the scenes from next week where you see multiple times where he seems incredibly uncomfortable while Cam is supposedly saying what happened the night before. Okay, first of all, before we get there, I want to say bad business decision on Lucia's part. I think she could have told Dominic, well, I didn't book anyone else because you said you wanted me for the week, so you better pay me, Yeah. first of all. So, and he I probably would, he probably would have paid her. Money. Exactly. Yep. You know, I think he would have paid her. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just from a business judgment standpoint, I think she needs to sharpen you up. You need a to be bit. her agent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but also, yes, they made the point of saying, right, that I wonder if they said they don't lie to each other. Right. But they definitely said that he doesn't lie to right. Harper certainly setting up a minefield as far as what's going to happen when Harper returns. And I think he definitely, for me, is the biggest mystery of all the characters. Um, I think we've been given very little as far as how he really feels about things. Obviously a very guarded person. To me, there haven't been any hints as to like, you know, does he think it's funny in a good natured way that Harper is having this kind of yes right. day right. or is he internally rolling his eyes at like this sneering is a at her stupid mm-hmm. thing for yep. her to do isn't like her she's not gonna be able to do it like yeah. I, I can't get a read on it what do yeah. you think I, I have feel the exact same way there's that whole sequence where it's kind of nice when he smir- smirks at her because it's as if they're playing a game and he's in on it and that seemed nice but then, like you said, when she gets stuck going to, what's the name of this place? Nono? Noto? Noto. Noto. So when she ends up going to Noto with Daphne, which she knows, he knows that she's kind of like, oh, I don't know if this is more than I bargained for. And he is now kind of sneering at her going like, ha there you go. You fell into this trap. So it doesn't seem good natured anymore. But then if he has this resentment towards her, and maybe there's some history be- behind between them that we don't know yet, but I don't know where this resentment comes from. Uh, because in other ways, they oftentimes seem to have very honest conversations with each other and they seem to be uh, you know, not hiding anything from each other. But there seems to be, once again, this antagonism there on his part. Uh, you know, We talked about it last week with his fact that he's you know, not having sex with her when she's asking him to do it. Right. And literally like you know, masturbating behind her back. I'm like, well, what's up with that? You know, it's, right. it's, and, and then we mentioned it could be his fear of, impregnating her maybe, which is completely legitimate interpretation, but that doesn't explain some of this resentment we're seeing as well. So it's, it's complicated. And we, like you said, I feel like of all the characters, we haven't gotten any kind of interior feel for where, you know, where his head's at. Um, right. Because at the same time, he's not taking this opportunity to cheat on her, which Cameron right. certainly is going to keep his secret. Right. 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 Although you would be giving him that bargaining chip right. for you that he would yep. know that. Mm-hmm. And Ethan is probably smart enough he seems like very morally centered here yep. to me. It's not quite adding up for me. And I'm sure there is a logical reason for why he is the way he is, but we have not been given enough insight, I think, to understand it. Yeah, I agree with all that. And um, to your point, I think that both things are happening simultaneously because absolutely 
when Cam starts to pressure him for financial information or next time, or you have to come to my office and meet me and some of the guys, which once again, if these supposedly he's telling Daphne that these guys are predatory, why would he want to introduce them to uh, Ethan? Uh Even if, you know, he himself might say like, well, I'm an honest broker. You might want to just work through me. He seems a little annoyed because Harper had said, you sure he doesn't want anything from you? And he's like, no, he's just my friend, blah, 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 which I don't even know if Ethan really believed that, but it seemed like he was saying that to her anyway. And then of course, now we see that now he, he really was, you know, fishing for a client, for a new client. And Ethan seems annoyed by that. So there's that part of it. And I thought the exact same thing. I think that on the one hand, yes, he doesn't want to potentially do this to Harper or have to keep the secret from Harper because maybe he's just not good at keeping secrets, right? But mm. more, more interestingly is exactly that. Like he knows what Cam's about. And now he goes, this is how he manipulates people. I'm not going to hook up with this girl in front of him. He's definitely mm-hmm. going to use this as leverage later. Like, you know, imagine mm. like, imagine he knows that he wants him for the client. He's going to be like, hey, you know, you should uh, come uh, meet up with me at the office uh, or I can come have dinner with you and Harper. Oh, man, we should talk about what happened at the we yeah. had so much fun mm. on that trip. Remember, mm. we should talk about that. And it's just like kind of a veiled threat. So I can right. totally imagine Cam would absolutely do that. Absolutely. Yes. So, you know, he doesn't probably want to give him that ammunition. Do you think Ethan's going to tell Harper what happened? I think it's a huge question um, and it will tell us even more. And maybe we will get some insight into Ethan. I feel because we have so little insight into his character, I'm not sure what his character would do. I feel like in this situation, a person would keep it to themselves until they got home. And then when they got home, they would spill the whole thing. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe even on the plane. (laughs) (laughs) I actually anticipate for the dramatic stakes that he's going to spill the beans while the trip during the trip. That's what I think. But only for drama's sake. I think what you're saying is absolutely true that you're like, well, I don't want to create any kind of turbulence. You know, we're only here for a few more days. We're not here for a month. We're here for like three more days or something. Right. So it's like, let's not churn the water too much or anything. Yeah. And then like on the flight, like you said, you'd be like, you know what happened that night? (laughs) You guys were away. I've been dying to tell you and I just didn't want to do it while they were still around. They didn't want you to act weird. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So actually one more thing about that group of folks before we move over to Mia. One is there's that whole conversation where Daphne says to Harper that she is not a victim, even though she knows about this cheating. I mean, I think, I think she's right. I think, um, gosh, I can't remember. Were we having this conversation on the podcast? I feel like I have it with this strangely high number of people about (laughs) how some couples my very cynical perspective is that many couples have an understanding about things that may happen in the relationship and as long as no one embarrasses anybody else it was this was on the podcast yeah right we're all gonna look the other way right and i feel like this is one of those situations she is getting a lot out of this right she's a mom to these two kids that she loves dearly. She has this amazing lifestyle. She can on the on a whim, she rents a palazzo for a night that's like gorgeous and right, palatial. So literally palatial. So right. um, I think, you know, she is getting what she bargained for. Is it, you know, exactly her perfect ideal of what she wanted her marriage to be? Maybe not, but but that's life, right? Life is a series of trade-offs. And this is the trade-off she has agreed to make. I, I, I agree with her. I don't think she's a victim. 
Right. And then she's spending his money on that palazzo also. But like you said, that might be cold comfort for other things. But, you know, they their relationship most of the time seems to function well. So it's just a matter of, like you said, what's that agreement and what is she willing to accept? Yeah. And that calculus is going to be different for everyone, right? right. Like that would be an absolute deal breaker for some people. But I think it's not a deal breaker for a decent amount of people. And that's fine. That's everybody's decision to make. Other thing I wanted to talk about briefly was... Mia with Giuseppe, where he says to her, you know, I can introduce you to some people. It's like very, you know, this whole me too thing, mm-hmm. this kind of Harvey Weinstein, uh, you know, to, to a microscopic level, obviously. But uh, but you, you can't help but not think about that when you talk about Dom being, you know, a powerful player in Hollywood also. So we kind of make you think about that in general. But he's kind of using that same type of thing, saying like, oh, you have a lot of talent. Uh, I can um, introduce you to some people. You just have to be my friend, wink, wink. And uh, she doesn't throw a drink in her f- his face this time. She says, I'll think about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in the scenes from next week, we see that apparently she has kind of uh, more brazenly kind of taken Lucia's advice that maybe she should take advantage of this opportunity she has, uh, you know, in her youth, you know, kind of t- use exploiting that if mm-hmm. she can. And, and, and me as and, uh, Lucia says, I've created a monster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I don't know what that ref- reference is to, but we'll see next week, I'm sure. Uh, third thing minor thing I wanted to bring up was the whole, towards the end there, we see Portia is- Yes, I was going to bring that up too. <laughs> First She's of all, dying she- dying to go back to that swimming pool. Is she yes. back? Will he still be there? Yeah. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that guy's going to turn up again on the show, but I think it's interesting that we now see her torn between Albie and the caveman, <laughs> supposedly, uh, that she says to Tanya, you know, I wish that Albie would you know, quicken my- heart rate a little bit and then you know she meets somebody who 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 does but tanya says do not chase after somebody who is basically emotionally unattainable don't waste your life doing that so that is probably good advice but at the same time you like what you like so i don't know enough maybe i haven't been watching carefully enough about albie yet to understand if he is really just genuine in what he's saying or one of those quote unquote nice guys mm-hmm. um yes. that and then that complains that women never want nice guys blah 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 yes so, and i'm not sure which side he's on and maybe that's just because i'm not paying enough attention to him i got a read from him this week where it seems a little bit more sincere that at least he wants to be that guy i would say but i agree with you i had uh, i think i had this conversation maybe with somebody else earlier basically saying that that is you know it's three different generations of different ways of men being players in their own way. And like you said, that their read was that Albie is that type of guy who's just like, you know, always whining about like, oh, why do girls always go for the bad guys, blah, 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 blah. And that's their own form of manipulation, right? It's like that, like the, the good guy, I, you know, I'm the good boyfriend, right? And it's always like, you know, playing the victim card. Well, we all know that those are the worst guys of all, first of all. But second, <laughs> the reason that I'm not willing to write him off right away is because we know what's going on with his dad. Yes, um, yes right. that I wonder how much of it is a response to seeing how his dad treats women um, or has treated women to get them all into this place that they are currently in this moment in time. Um, so, I mean, although this does seem to be like a very well deep seated belief system that he has, I don't right. think it just, you know, came up in the last two weeks, but I don't know um, how long he's been aware of how his dad has been Right. you know, involved with women and stuff like that. I don't think we have all the details. So I don't think it's necessarily that simple, but it might be. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's another thing that seems to be an open question here. And of course we, we see that, like you've mentioned, she is definitely attracted to this other guy. And then how's that dynamic going to play out? Because she definitely wanted to hang out by the pool. And then mm-hmm. she's just like, well, how can I, you know, stay here without raising any suspicion? So of course she does end up going back or letting Albie walk her back to her room. Although they pretty certain they're not going to hook up that night or maybe ever at this point. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, okay. I think she might be running right back to the pool, but <laughs> I think, honestly, I think once again, I think if this was reality, I think that that might very well be the next scene. But given that the episode kind of wraps up, I have a feeling that we're going to see like the next day. And then that would be the, oh, but who knows? Maybe the next day, next morning at breakfast, she's with that guy. And then the question becomes, like, I don't oh. know. I feel like she kind of tried to leave her beer behind. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted to head back there. Fell. Oh, I yeah. left my beer at the pool. Yeah. <laughs> given this week, have you revised your list of potential killers and victims? Well, sadly, I still feel a foreboding sense of doom for Lucia and for Mia. But now I think it's Cameron that's going to be the murderer. Of both. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Uh, now I'm starting to think that maybe Albie, you know, it seems like the, the quiet guy who maybe is trying to bottle it all up and be the good guy ends up, you know, that would be like the cruelest irony that he ends up becoming Mm. a killer in this whole thing. So that I think would be the most ironic twist there. Yeah. Trying to make himself more aggressive and then. Yeah. (laughs) Way too far. far. (laughs) Way too far. (laughs) So now I'm going to segue into a conversation with my sister about don't worry, darling, but I will be back with Sona to discuss that film as well. So stay tuned for that. We don't go into spoilers right away, but if you hear the spoiler warning, do check out that film, if you intend to, before coming back to this conversation. You and me. Always. You and me. Darling, all of you wives. We men, we ask a lot. Can't you see? We ask for strength, <laughs> food at home, a house clean, and discretion above all else. Boys and their toys, at least we know they're getting work done. Welcome to the Victory Project. We're all here because we believe in the mission. What are we doing? Changing the world. What are we doing? Changing Changing the world. world. That's right. What do you think they're really doing out there? What do you mean? The one thing they ask of us is to stay here. Where it's safe. Do you even know what the Victory Project actually is? Have you ever asked? Do you? Please, what's actually happening? Stop it, Alice. What if this place is dangerous? What if- Stop it! No. Jack, it's okay. So you saw it, don't worry, darling. Do you know all the drama that was going on behind the scenes with this show, this movie? No, there was more drama than what was happening on the movie. Oh my God, there is so much drama around this thing. And I didn't really talk about it previously. I've seen the movie and I definitely want to talk about the movie. And I have some interesting things to talk about in the film, I think. And it's, uh, first of all, Olivia Wilde, who is in the movie as well, is uh, the director 
and one of the writers on the film. This is the second movie that she's directed, by the way. The first one is Booksmart, which was this comedy about these two girls on their last day at school. Absolutely hilarious. If anyone hasn't seen that, one of the best like high school comedies of the past few years. Incredible. So she kind of got a blank check to make something much more ambitious, which is this movie. Um, but before this thing even came out in the movies, there has been so much drama. So Mr. Ted Lasso, everybody loves Ted Lasso. Jason Sudeikis and Olivia Wilde have been together for years and they have two kids together. Okay. So first thing that happened was started to appear that they were working separately. He was in England and she was directing Don't Worry Darling. And she started showing up in the tabloids, hanging out with Harry Styles. And when they interviewed her and asked her about that, turned out she was dating Harry Styles. And apparently Jason Sudeikis knew about this. And she was still there helping, you know, supporting him when he won his Emmy Award. This is the, these were the, when they had the COVID Emmys where people were like winning their, like Jason Sudeikis literally accepted his uh, award, like on a Zoom meeting with uh, his hoodie on. <laughs> Everybody's just hanging out in their living room. Not quite the, the glamour you would expect from an Emmy Awards. But she was there applauding him on the camera and yada, yada, yada. So they were having their issues, but apparently they were splitting up, but they were, you know, the kids, it was complicated. This is over a year ago now that this is happening when they were making the movie originally. That's part one. Part two is then that she is apparently amicably, they've broken up. They say nice things about each other in the, the press. She's doing an interview in front of the Museum of Motion Pictures or something in California. Some guy walks up to her on camera, like while she's being interviewed in this big arena and hands papers. And it is for custody of the children in, in this public forum and this on Jason Sudeikis' behalf. Then he's saying, oh, I didn't know it was going to be such a public thing. I didn't understand that was what was going to happen. That sounds so shady. So that's number two. Number three is that then Olivia Wilde starts doing some interviews for the, the film. And she mentions the fact that Shia LaBeouf was originally in the Harry Styles role. It was originally cast. By the way, if that casting had never happened, maybe she never would have ended up with Harry Styles. So there you go. Who knows, right? Regardless, she says that apparently there was some issues with his chemistry. And, you know, Shia LaBeouf has now had multiple complaints about some of his behavior. He's kind of a nutty person in general, although he is trying to fix himself. So give him credit for that. He's uh, you know kind of been open about his mental health issues. Regardless, she was like, it didn't seem right on set and she fired him. That's what she said. He goes on social media and starts saying, I quit. You didn't fire me. Yada, yada, yada. Here's the email. Here's the proof. And they have this little spat in public. Another drama around this movie. And then all of a sudden there start being rumors that Florence Pugh and her didn't get along on set and then they wouldn't talk to each other. And there's more drama about this, yada, yada, yada. Finally, the movie premieres at Venice. And when they're at Venice, they uh, say, and Florence Pugh will not even attend the premiere. But she's making Dune, the Dune sequel, at this moment. And these are both for Warner Brothers. So she gets on a plane, flies to the Venice Film Festival. She's there. She does the red carpet. She takes all the pictures. And then when they do the interviews, she jumps back on a plane and has to go back and shoot the film. And they're like, why didn't she do press? It's because she hates Olivia Wilde, right? <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> yes. They should so make a movie about the making of the movie. Yes. So there's all this drama. If this was a male director and there was drama behind the scenes, no one would even hear about it, right? But, you know, everything has to be drama here. <laughs> And then, of course, here's the worst part about it. All this stuff happens. And then, of course, what do people say? She's doing this. She's doing this to draw attention to the movie. It's all a publicity stunt, right? 
So it's like you cannot win. <laughs> they say something <laughs> bad about you in the press. That's bad for you. They say something bad in the press. You're the one who's doing it. <laughs> so it's like it is just no way to win. Anyway, all this drama and then the movie comes out and it's like, eh, it's OK. <laughs> so the drama is more interesting than the film to be honest with you i thought this movie was fun this movie came out and got such absolutely horrible horrible reviews and everybody all the critics were saying this thing was going to go down in flames and i think honestly that the press because they knew all the drama that was going on behind the scenes that they had some kind of level of expectation or something maybe that's why they had this really negative opinion of the film, I don't think the film is that bad. And by the way, audiences who went to see it, they gave it decent grades. They didn't love it, but they gave it decent grades. So they didn't think it was terrible either. I do think one thing for sure, it has a terrible, terrible ending. <laughs> it was a very bad ending. Yeah. And I think that is what they're getting judged for. Yeah. Honestly, until then, the vibe was very cool. Yep. And I was wondering what was happening. And this is all very good because that's the intent. But then, <laughs> right, and we're going to spoil now. So before we I have spoil, so many questions about yes. how that would even work. Yes. That's why I want to have the conversation with you. Is generally, I would say this is an interesting film. It's not great. So if you have no interest in what's happening in this film, if you're just like, this doesn't appeal to me at all, you're not going to like it. So just go the other way. If you are interested, you like Florence Pugh, you've been following her career, like Midsommar, another amazing performance, by the way. And she's great in this. So if you love her, definitely check it out. It's one of her best performances. And if you like trippy thrillers, science fiction, a little bit science fiction adjacent in there. So maybe if you listen to this podcast and you also are watching The Peripheral and some of these other story shows that we recommend for you, maybe it'll appeal to you. I would say, check it out. You might enjoy it. It's not bad at all. And to your point, I would also say, I think Olivia Wilde does a great job as a director, just second time out, unlike Booksmart, which is a really good movie. Very, very fun, but not really like experimental visually. I really like the type of thing she does there is this kind of internal drama that's going on with these characters. And we find out more as time goes by and the way she visualizes this, like that sequence where she sees herself in the mirror as somebody else, or when she sees that the, the iris of her eye becomes like those women dancing in coordinated. There was a fantastic scene where she was yeah. in the tub. Yes. And she, when, as she goes down her reflection in the mirror looks over at you, mm -hmm. it doesn't yes. go down with her. Right. I actually had to pause and rewind that part. Very interesting visuals. And when she's cleaning the window. Yes. And she gets, and she gets crushed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that was great. I thought yeah. that that stuff was really creative, really yeah. good to watch. But yeah. And so we'll leave, we'll, we'll leave it at that. We'll, all, those are all the positives. <laughs> and uh, so all those things would recommend it. <laughs> Violet, where are you from? Pardon? I said, where are you from? Philadelphia. Hmm. I'm from Philadelphia. Yeah. Are you serious? I didn't know that. I know I like to. Most of the women here are from Philadelphia. Or Baltimore. Or Chicago. I've noticed. Mm. You got no one other thing? I, for one, do not miss no, the winters. No, no, no. I thrive in the sunshine, even though I'm alabaster skin. Oh, I love mm. the sunshine. I love the beach. Mm. Mm. You know. What was the last beach you went to? Oh, fun fact about the beach. I read this. Yeah. Beaches are actually some of the filthiest places in the whole world. Just a sandbox of disease. And... Peter, <laughs> do not say disease it's at the dinner table. They need to know. I could probably guess Hilton Head, Cape Cod, or the Jersey Shore. 
and we all honeymooned in Sea Island or the Poconos or Niagara Falls. I think those are popular honeymoon destinations. Expensive. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, you, uh, you didn't finish your story. Mm. Bill over here is probably one of the worst I'm golf sorry, players. I'm sorry, I'm not quite not. finished. Violet, where did you meet Bill? We met on a train. To Boston. Boston. Yeah. Huge. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you dropped your ticket, and he bent down, picked it up, gave it to you, right? It is, yeah. That's how Margaret met Ted. And Peg, am I right in thinking that that's how Debbie McIntyre met her husband? Yes, I am. That's how they met. <laughs> yes, that's true. I'm, I'm jealous, honestly. It's such wow. a sweet story. Yeah, yeah. It's not funny. It was coincidence. Yeah, incredible. So, <laughs> now, we're going to, now we're going to spoil the ending because there's so many questions that the ending opens up, like these all these questions that unravel at the end. That really isn't unraveling. The, it suddenly opens up an interpretation of what we're seeing that, that the film does not need. And worse than that, it's like it doesn't have answers for it. So it just makes the whole thing fall apart. That's the downside. Yeah, I, I think that we should have theories on what you, what is like. <laughs> this yeah. is what I saw in the end. Can I say? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Do spoilers now. It seems like she was a doctor. She met this guy who is kind of a loser and he loses his job and she she becomes more, he becomes needier. She's like, oh, get away from me. And then he decides that he's going to join this cult thing, I guess, Mm -hmm. but it's an electronic cult thing (laughs) where she would lay on what looks like a self-tanning bed and he lays next to her and they are in this alter reality throughout the whole movie. And that's where the movie begins. But I also wonder every time she gets like lobotomized or something or electrified, she seems to then reset and go back into this world because she has flashbacks right and she becomes i guess less and less herself and then more and more damaged in her behaviors because it's like she's short-circuiting or something so i think that's the plot yeah but i have so many questions about the logistics yes that's the problem and yeah just to add a little more clarity to what you're saying I mean, I think the theory, your theory is you're about 90% there. And, uh, you know, it's exactly that. She had this relationship. It went badly. Harry Styles in the real world, you know, started listening to this podcast or something of this, like a Jordan Peterson type men's rights guy. But it turns out he's not just some intellectual. He's also, you know, has this technology apparently that you can like plug yourself into. And, uh, and that's what he does, right? So now they go into this virtual world. But of course, this is, I don't know how you join this club and like nobody knows the rules of it because this is an abduction of somebody, but apparently this uh, is profitable. How much does this cost? How is he making money on this? Anyway. Not just that, <laughs> just the logistics. Like, yeah. does she have a catheter? Yeah. Does she get bed sores? Yeah. Does she not get flabby? Is she just laying there? How are they having sex? When she's having those sex scenes, is he just like having sex with her like immobile body? Like how creepy is that? Or in his mind. And that's that, enough for that him. That would be better. In the mind would be better than, than I just- I think that's what's happening. But I mean, I hope that didn't even <laughs> occur to me. Exactly. That's, that's so disturbing gross. disturbing is that? To just have that body there next to you. This 
bed sore body. Is that what's happening? There's something interesting metaphorically here. However, this guy's like this kind of loser. He's kind of, she's the successful one. He's kind of like this layabout. And then of course, ironically, he has to go back to work and he's like working, he's busting his ass because imagine like now they only have this one income and this probably costs a fortune. So he's now spending every penny to maintain this facade. And I think that's kind of interesting. It's kind of like careful what you wish for because men, some men, and I think this kind of what's being spoken to in this movie, some men have this kind of like, oh man, it was great in the old days. Remember when women, they weren't all liberated and you know speak out so much. And it's just like, yeah, you know what? You were like the man of the house, which meant you were responsible for everything, for everything. So be careful what you wish for, because that's not so great. So I think that's interesting metaphorically. But like you said, the logistics of it just make no sense at all. Like what is happening to her body? How long can this go on for before she is potentially going to die in that bed? And then who, like, why does he even want to be in a relationship with that person anymore? I guess it's like this, it's just so self-defeating. And maybe that's the and point. You could say that he has mental health issues clearly, Yes. but does everyone else also have them? Because yeah, you assume that they're similar people. These people are doing this and they're all ending up in this alter reality together. So what is, is there like a main hub where everyone's consciousness just goes and that's what that thing is in the desert? I think that's just the exit. So it's like basically a metaphor in in the technology for them to go back into their outer lives. So theoretically, that's part of the reason she almost, you know, is when she made it back to the center, she started having flashbacks momentarily. She almost went back into her body. And that's when she had to you know, have the electroshock or whatever that is. We see just flashes of it. But simply put, it's just, you're absolutely right. It's just like it, they've made it so convoluted there at the end. It doesn't really help. What's way more interesting, by the way, what's way more interesting is the idea if we had found out like when she had all the flashbacks that she had done this to herself, the Olivia Wilde character in the film, who is like a, a mom who killed her kids in a car accident and she gets to have her kids in that world is like really disturbing. The, the, the thought of someone doing this to themselves. And that's more interesting than just the logistics of how does this woman just disappear? No one's looking for her. Like <laughs> what? And, and like, if she was living with this guy, when she disappeared, wouldn't he be like suspect number one? Like what, what's going on here? <laughs> you know? But he's hiding her in a tanning bed. Oh yeah. They're never going to look there. <laughs> they're never going to look in the apartment. God forbid they walk inside. Maybe she's like in the back of an abandoned nail salon or something. <laughs> it could be. But then think about that. He's got to rent another storage space just for that. It didn't <laughs> look like expensive. a house. It was, I don't know, a storage like a unit or yeah, it looks something. Like, like a, like, it's like, it looked a like cube. that. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's so crazy. So yeah, he's but living in this like, utter squalor. People. Yeah. By the way, the mastermind of all this, where is he? Is he hooked up to something? Yeah, I assume he is. By the way, another great performance. So let's call out some of these other really good parts. And oh yeah, and speaking of performances, A, you have um, Florence Pugh, great performance, obviously. Also a great performance is Chris Pine, who is playing the, 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 the head honcho guy. He's incredible in this movie. He's so much fun as that bad guy. But the last person I want to talk about here, Olivia Wilde, also very good in front of the camera as well as behind. Smaller part though, but so it's still, she's very good. But Harry Styles is, by the way, not terrible. Absolutely not terrible. And <laughs> but, he's a uh, great dancer. Yeah. Well, he's, he he's, has so much stamina. <laughs> I mean, what did you think of him as a performer? He definitely comes off as this guy who's kind of earnest and kind of tortured because he loves his wife and he doesn't want to have to keep doing this to her. But at the same time, 
it's the only way he could have her. And then when you flash to him in the other reality, which I guess is the real one, he's like greasy and grimy. And that's another problem I have. How do you go from this like greasy, grimy, unshowered, mentally disturbed kidnapping guy to like, hi, darling, just throw the plates on the floor so we can have sex on the dining room table. And I'm going to, you know what I mean? How did that happen? Oh, and he has a British accent. He got to pick one. Oh, I mean, so well, he, has, he has an actual British accent. The question has. you're asking me is, did he pull this off? And I'm like, I guess so. That's how they wrote him. Right. So what I would say as a performance, he was that, fine. What, what it's funny about his performance is I think that he's kind of one note whenever he's inside the world, the, the fantasy world of this, you know, kind of utopian 50s, 60s, whatever time frame it's supposed to be. It's hard to put your finger on it because they play music from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. But, you know, stylistically, it looks like the late 50s, early 60s, maybe like Mad Men era. And uh, anyway, when he's in that era, he seems very one note. Um, and I guess that was intentional because I was actually kind of surprised. I give him credit as a performer that in the few scenes we see with him in the real world, he is giving a different performance, right? As that other character. So I'd actually give him credit for that. But I do feel like whether it was him or whether it was the direction he was getting, he is a little too much of the same. Like every, and once again, maybe that's intentional because he is performing, like you said, uh, when you think about what the real version of him is, when he walks in there, he's probably just worked all day long. Think about his actual life. He's like worked all day long, terrified of being caught. And like, you know, while his, you know, girlfriend, ex-wife, whatever she was, is like decomposing <laughs> in this situation. <laughs> and he walks in there and he like has to like put on a smiley face. And like you said, maybe it's very plastic because maybe that's what he's doing. He has to be as it's a very artificial performance he's giving because it is artificial. Right. So. But, uh, what yeah. an odd movie, but yet I liked <laughs> yes. it. Yeah. I did like it because it was like visually striking. Another thing that I just really love in movies. Yeah. I just do. When a movie's not visually striking, like when it's too indie and they didn't have the budget, unless it is like the most amazing indie movie ever, like I get kind of turned off. So I was turned on by this movie because it's so pretty and everyone looks so perfect because they're from the 50s and they all give off that persona. It's got to be the 50s. Yeah. But, and I am wondering the whole time what's happening. Right. Why is that ending like this? Because <laughs> it soured me. I was oh, yeah. a little sour. Absolutely. Yeah, I think. They but I liked the it yeah. up until then. Yeah, I agree. If they had a better ending, it would have been, and I think that's probably probably the critical reaction as well. If they had fixed the ending, I think this would have played better across the board. And uh, but as it is, it still is has some very like you said, beautiful, impeccable design work, uh, interesting visual ideas, absolutely interesting visual ideas. Just the way, even things like when her his her neighbor is basically starting to figure out what's actually going on, and that's like the first time we start seeing that things aren't quite what they seem to be. And just the way she is presented on screen, like kind of melting down, it's just there's something always just askew and ominous about the way they present her on screen. Like you just know that there's she's just sensing there's something wrong, right? Anyway, all that stuff is really well done. And just like all that interior stuff, like the flashbacks she's having, the visions she's having of multiple versions of herself, et cetera, all that stuff is very, very cool. And then, yeah, I mean, it's just too bad they couldn't come up with a better explanation because this one just... <laughs> 
<laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, it's it's odd. Uh, I mean, it would be better if they were in a compound somewhere and this was physically happening to her because then it would still be, I mean, even like that- Like the Stepford Wives yes. or something. Maybe it would have been, been too much like the Stepford Wives and that's, maybe that's why people didn't, they didn't want to do that. They're like, oh, so too much like the Stepford Wives will just- yeah come up with this other idea <laughs> there was literally a moment in the movie like maybe like with 15 minutes or 20 minutes to go right before the reveal where i was like oh don't let it be virtual reality <laughs> and it was and i'm just like oh no i know no um one more thing i was going to say that's interesting there well one thing that's dumb is that the whole they just throw in there at the 11th hour like oh my god you can't kill him in here. If you kill him in here, he dies in the real world. It's like, really? Like, where did that come from all of a sudden? Like, why, why would Just that kill you, right? The ending, not to be so negative, but the ending makes everything else odd too yes. that you kind of liked in yes, the beginning. Right, like, right. whose fantasy is it that right. they're in the 50s and that right. they have this weird mall where everybody twirls around in terrible bathing suits and they're like, oh, and this lady's pregnant and... Whose fantasy is this? Like, who's engineering this whole thing? Well, like, I, oh, this is what women would like to do in the afternoon. This um, shopping every day on this trolley. And then the trolley guy, is he in on it? He's like, I can't drive that way. I have too many questions. I don't know too many. Real, I don't know if that guy's a real guy, to be honest with you. If he's a real person, I mean, like in the outside world. Because he doesn't seem to understand how this thing works. I think he might just be like a, you know, programmed personality in there. No, oh my god! And then I the mean, car, the car chase at the end, where the guys all like get into a car wreck, and they apparently, so apparently they're all like are dead now, right? Yeah, oh. and and the plane crashed. Yes. Who's in Wait, this plane? And what's the plane? Yeah, exactly. What what does the plane represent at all? Why would they put the plane in there? And then it has no type of like so because someone like exactly these are all the questions they're raising that make no sense. Like why would you design the world that has that in there to draw somebody out? And then like for example, people are saying like. I saw the plane and they're like, don't talk about the plane. It's like, why did you put the plane in there? If it's going to make everybody confused, like it doesn't make any sense. What it's is like, the plane? Is it bringing people in? What's going on? With what does the it mean? Plane? It does, what does it represent? Exactly. It's Her just, friend who committed suicide was yeah. holding a plane at one point, exactly. like a toy plane. Exactly. Like what is the symbolism of the plane? Yeah. It makes no sense at all. It, and it's a completely added detail that means nothing, really nothing. Uh, oh, and one more thing that makes no sense in this is uh, when you see, um, um, Chris Pine's uh, wife, who is like furious, like she's like, bought, apparently appears to have been completely bought in on this thing. And she's like, my husband is a great man. And you're like ruining this, blah, 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 blah. And then like when all of a sudden, like the uh, the alarms are going off and they're like, oh, no, she knows that, the, you know, the veil has been pulled off for their eyes. We, you know, and everybody starts freaking out. She turns on him and kills him. It's like, wasn't she in on it? Like, why did she kill him? It, it, it makes no sense. I thought she would not be in on it. I thought maybe he hypnotized her too because she but, was just good for his image or something. But she seemed she seemed to to know what was going on when she like was you know earlier on. So it I feel like she was in denial and she did not know what was going on. Maybe she must have be semi lobotom. What is that lobotomized? Lobotomized. We have to take her away and lobotomized her. We're gonna chip off little pieces of her brain, you know, until she conforms into the woman that we are trying to make her into. Uh, I, what was that? Yeah. But then they reset them. But it sounds like we're being negative. But <laughs> right. up until the very, very end, when none of this stuff needed to ex be explained, it didn't need to be explained. 
I was fine with it. I thought the movie was pretty good. I was into it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think the last, uh, whatever it is, 20 minutes or so, when the things are revealed to be what they are, is just kind of like, what? <laughs> it's just Yeah, because you're like, well, if that's the case, right, then right. what was that thing? Exactly. Wait, and if you're here, then what are they doing? Right. And then, you know, so that's why we have so many questions. But- yeah. Let's do the thing we do where we come up with the best ending ever instead. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 you know, for me, like I said, I, for me, if I was going to fix it, if I had to fix it in, in a writing or something, I would make the, I would have made it more like a Stepford Wives thing. And maybe it would be like, oh, that's too much like the Stepford Wives where it's, you know, a physical location is kind of compound where they live together. Um, so maybe it would be something like that. And they could still be being programmed, like with those flashes she's having, maybe she is getting treated. When she goes out to that place, what's out at the spa or whatever it is, it turns out that's where the treatments occur, right? So, and people might say, oh, that reminds me too much of Stepford Wives. No one's seen that movie. <laughs> it's 50 years old. Most people have not seen that movie. Uh, it's okay if it's too much like the Stepford Wives because- That's what I this, think. I agree. I agree with you. All right. So let's switch over to Don't Worry, Worry Darling. Um, in general, what did you think of this thing, <laughs> this film? <laughs> <laughs> Of what happened here. Um, <laughs> yes. So I actually really loved the idea of this. Yeah. I think it was a great concept. Um, I think the execution was sometimes right on and other times I had questions. And I think, um, I feel like we spent too much time in the simulation. Yeah. I wanted more time to understand how this came to be, the mechanics of how this is working. I understand with these like sci-fi type things, there's always gonna be some kind of hand wavy type stuff yeah. where a holes in the logic and it couldn't ever realistically work that way to the extent it was ever gonna realistically work that way. But I just feel like dropping that in at the end, the way they yes. did, mm -hmm. it was not enough. I think we needed to spend I don't know, 25% of the time, a third of the time on what was going on there. Yeah. Like, I like that twist. I think it's a good twist. But I think then, like, the way it was then underdeveloped, I mean, even the ending, why would you just have to run to this window and press yourself against it? <laughs> right. Like, you don't even have to enter this building. You just merge into the window of it and somehow bring yourself back. And then... What was she going to do when she got back? If, right. First of all, why would killing him in the simulation <laughs> yes, right. also kill him in real life, first right, of all? Right. Yes. And then second, okay, so then you, you're you back in the real world and what are you going to do then? I mean, I don't know. I just feel like there were too, there are always going to be unanswered yes. questions with a plot like this, but I feel like there were too many unanswered questions. And also, why would he choose to be British? <laughs> yes, because Harry Styles has a British accent. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that just seems like an unnecessary um, aspect for your alter ego, your sim. You know? Right, right. <laughs> What's so funny about it is that, you know, I suspect that there was something sci-fi going on earlier on. You could imagine that inside that building, there are women in pods and then they are, you know, these are like the separate wives, like robot versions of these women with their conscience inside of it or something like if they had gone even in that direction, it would have felt like a little bit 
more believable, as ridiculous and outlandish as what I just said is, <laughs> it would be more believable because of the fact that you could imagine that these guys want to have these women who never age, their bodies don't change, et cetera, right? Because the idea that they're like living in this squalid apartment and he's paying, like, how does this, like, there's so many questions. How does this guy <laughs> who like runs this podcast and like recruits these men who are like losers or whatever, how expensive is it to run this thing? And how does he make money? Is he charging them hundreds of thousands of dollars, which, you know, minimally to pull this off? And how do these guys make this money? Like, think about how inconvenient it would be for them to be spending all of their, you know, any kind of capital they have just to keep this program running. And then these women are what in these beds forever, like paralyzed, and they're unaware that they're in there. And it's just crazy when you start like that, the ending is so bad because as you start to just ask all these questions, you're like, how would any of this make sense? How do these women just disappear and nobody notices? Like right. it's, it's all of this makes no sense at all. So it just becomes absolutely preposterous. And uh, the most interesting character to me is the Olivia Wilde character herself, where you find out yes. that she's in there on purpose. And that would be, right. a, and I actually suspected that was the direction the show was going in, the film was going in, that we would find out the way that this all makes sense is that, you know, she comes out of whatever this is, whether it's virtual reality, whether it's some kind of fugue state they put her into, whatever it is. And when she wakes up, there's someone on the other side being like, you did this to yourself. Like, you know, whatever, you were a careerist woman, had burned out and you're like, I don't want to live this life anymore. I want to go to that idyllic. And now you are rejecting it, basically. That would be more interesting because she would have had to, you know, it would explain how she could disappear because she did this to herself. Not like, you know, she was abducted and this guy is spending what millions of dollars to finance this crazy project. And, you know, if she was living with this guy and then suddenly disappeared, wouldn't people be knocking on his door? Being like, it's my daughter in there. Like, I, I don't understand how any of this could possibly work. It just makes no sense at all. It's, uh, I still, I, I like the concept. Yes. The concept is good. Yeah. There's a lot there commentary on male female dynamics and gender roles and and all of that that I liked but I again I'm willing to you know the type of stuff I've watched and enjoyed I'm willing to accept holes in the plot I'm yep. willing yep. to accept things that don't quite add up but this was like a bridge too far to me and, and you could have fixed it imagine that she is physically there at this compound it's like the village right and they actually live there they're not like in a virtual reality world and that she has moved there with her husband. And when people come and ask about her, there she is, like, she's there. What are you talking about? You know, they could be put an implant in her brain or something to manipulate her behavior. And she's fighting against that programming. But even that would make more sense than, you know, like I said, they're putting her into a virtual reality world. Like <laughs> she just is physically gone from her job as a doctor or whatever. And no one looked for yeah. her. It, it just... It, how would any of that ever work? I mean, I assumed in my head, I made up that he called the hospital and told them that she had some kind of horrible accident or something. And she's gone back to live just, with her parents. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I could understand some way that the job would not come looking for you. But the family issue is different. Yes. I mean, unless, and they could explain that too, right? Like you said, if they spend more time on the outside world, like, you know, she's in a room with, you know, at this actual compound where the women are housed and talking to a scientist or something. And they're like, you were perfect candidate. You had no, your parents were dead. You're, you have no siblings, right? Right. right so, right. but you need to explain that. You can't just be like, 
<laughs> and by the way, she get, like wakes up and that, and she's just, ah, now I'm in the outside world again. I'm like, how long has she been in that state? Like, can she still walk? <laughs> like what is happening to her body? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's just, yeah. Olivia Wilde to her credit visually i think the story the film is great like i like these little flourishes where agree you, you see the women dancing in court like and it becomes like the iris of an eye uh, i like the, the the style is beautiful the way it looks like this kind of sun bleached look and the kind of mix of styles of the 50s and 60s the like some cool little special effects like when she's in the tub and her reflection acts differently or when she's dancing and she suddenly becomes that other woman in the mirror all that stuff is really really beautifully done i mean really great agree uh, you know, concepts, ideas of showing her kind of losing her grip on reality. And then the payoff is so bad. <laughs> it's just crazy. It's just such a missed opportunity, I think. So, and the concept's interesting. Like you said, I think it's an interesting metaphor to think about, you know, this kind of fantasy of a time that, you know, this, this kind of culture we live in now, even right where this, I mean, that's just this culture. It's always the way it's been, right? That people are always kind of pining for a past that never existed. And uh, that's mm -hmm. always kind of fascinating when you see somebody. That's why it would be fascinating if she had somehow self-imposed this, right? And now she's rejecting it. That would be kind of interesting because I'm sure women as well, like we see some in this actual film, have a fantasy of that supposedly simpler time, right? So it's, 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 it's interesting, but... Yeah, again, like I like the twist itself, but then you've got to be able to back it up a little bit better than yeah. they did of just like, yeah, you'll just accept the fact that this is simulation and <laughs> right. he just, sure. you know, yeah, flipped out and signed him, signed himself and his wife up for this. <laughs> right. But uh, but actually, I'd say that I don't hate the film. Uh, I think the critics were overly hard hard on it because I think of all the melodrama that was going on behind the scenes. Yes, I was not yeah. expecting to like it as much as I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, just because all I'd really heard about it was the drama and that after all that drama, it wasn't a good movie. <laughs> My sister said the exact same thing in the fact that she like tore it apart for all the reasons you just did. And then at the end she goes, but I liked it. I recommend people watch it. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> until you get to the end, it's actually pretty good, <laughs> which I don't think people will, you know, and, uh, but, and I think that's been the audience reaction too, which I find surprising. Visually, it's really nice. Right. Um, it's, it's the, it's the story. <laughs> the right. Right. Like or at least the end of the story. Right? To yeah. Flesh out that last chapter or two. Yeah. So. <laughs> but there's other things too. Not only is it the, what is the metaphor of this like central place that you can somehow exit through, which I guess that's what it represents. But for me, the more annoying thing is what's up with the plane. And if no one's supposed to know that the plane is there and, if anyone talks about it, they're like, don't mention the plane again. I'm like, why would they have put the plane in the virtual reality if it somehow leads people yeah. out of this? You know, it just, it makes no sense at all. And then that woman who escapes, she has a plane, like, so that the model plane is like a symbol of something, but I'm like, but what? Like, and, and like I said, you created this virtual reality world. Why are you not allowed to speak about the plane that they put in there? Why do they put it in there? It's so Yeah. And bizarre. also then, I mean, when she killed herself, what did that get her because they it seemed they seemed to be saying that just the men if they died in the simulation right. would die in the real world but it was implied to me that the women would not so then then what right right i assume she has to die too on the outside world i assume i mean i could be wrong about that but i don't anyway. know why anyone would die in the outside world if they died in the simulation. <laughs> yeah, none of that makes any sense and that is like <laughs> once again like kind of that's really bad writing i think as well it's like something that happens in horror movies all the time where all of a sudden they, they throw an extra rule there at the, like the, at, like the, the increase the stakes at the end. And you're like, shouldn't you have introduced that much earlier? 
<laughs> but I guess they can't do that here because the, the reveal comes so late in the game. So that, late. Uh, you know. And at least, you know, like you said, it would be more interesting if somehow one of the women told her what was actually going on. They have like some kind of covert meeting and she explains there's only one way out of this and then told her how to do it. Because then you're like, it's an action movie. Now now you have to be like, she needs to accomplish these things. And maybe this woman's going to help her out. And then that's how, she, and then, you know, there's some drama in whether she escapes or not. But if we don't know the stakes <laughs> until the last two minutes, it's like, well, I'm not vested in the stakes because I didn't even know they existed until right now. So it's just bizarre. I did like that scene with with her and Bunny, though, at the end. I thought it was really nice yeah. as far as like showing that they did have a real friendship, regardless of how fake everything else right. was. Right. <laughs> um, that, you know, Bunny really, even though she was so invested in this, she wanted to help her find a way out, Alice find a way out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but would you recommend it <laughs> now that we spoiled it? Um. I would say like worth a watch, I guess. <laughs> At yeah. a home watch, right? It's a mild recommend. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, in the same way. And uh, but I, I mean, and, and I can still compliment so many people. I think Flores Pugh did a great job she, as she usually does. I thought Olivia Wilde has a small part, but she did a great job mm -hmm. as a performer. I thought she did a beautiful sure. job directing. I mean, just as far as putting images on the screen, she advanced. You know, when they compare it to her solid work with. Uh, book smart, but I think this is much more evolved Completely as far different. As, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And much more ambitious. So I think she can handle this type of ambitious material. The screenplay was not finished, in my opinion. And uh, and Harry Styles, by the way, I think he's fine. <laughs> he wasn't terrible. wasn't great. He's just, okay, whatever. So what'd you think of him? Yeah. I mean, I'm not super familiar with Harry Styles the way a lot of people are, uh, yeah. but, but yeah, I mean, I, I liked him. I didn't really understand the um, tap dancing situation, but uh... <laughs> I, mean, either, yes. <laughs> I mean, once again, if you know what the game is, like, why would you put yourself through that? I mean, I don't know how much exertion is actually doing to you, but I assume at least mentally it's exhausting to have to dance for hours straight. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like you don't have to do that, I guess. I mean, unless you, I mean, I guess this guy could be a bully and say, well, we can kick you out. And then that, of course, is its own threat. But uh, yeah, it's kind it of- It was just so thing. strange. Like, here's a promotion. <laughs> now dance. <laughs> right. And he's so de de deranged looking when he's dancing, too. Yes. I mean, it was very striking visually. Again, yeah. the cuts yeah. between him dancing and her having a breakdown in the bathroom. But aside yeah. from that, like, very, very weird choice, I felt. Yes. But yeah. 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 I think that is- enough <laughs> about that <I> assume. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we have uh we have how many more this is the third so we have four more four more episodes of the white lotus okay all right cool thank you for the conversation great thank you all right i'll talk to you soon talk to you soon